why are you practicing a three-point shot? You can't even make a layup to save your life. And I think, horrified, I have become my father. I'm a cook, I'm a confidant, I'm a bill payer, I'm a daughter. I run from a boyfriend who's getting a little too serious. And I run from being a daughter, a sister, a spinster aunt. Hey there and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story and the people that craft and tell them. Now, some weeks a storyteller will join me and tell one of their stories and then break it down. Other weeks we will feature stories from our myriad events like we will today. Why, you ask? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, but also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories. Personal stories. Grit stories. We release new episodes every Friday, or we certainly try to. And we are in the first month of Season 3. Special thanks to Kurt Mullen, who joined me for Season 1. Season 2 focused on women and their stories. And Season 3 will be focusing on the best of. We'll leave the rest of that a surprise. If you could help us out, rate and review this podcast if that is an option on your preferred platform. And as always, check the show notes for upcoming workshops and events, including Deja True 3, which will feature Truologues. Now, we have had a couple of episodes in which we featured several Truologues, and that is what we will be doing today. We have got two Truologues, one longer and one shorter. The first one is by Andrew Shelfo and Daniel Boyd. The second by Joanne Pelletier and Rana Levy. And if you want to take a crack at it, come to one of our events. Have a listen. Reach out. Maybe you can join us. Okay, let's dive in. This is the big game. It's the big day. It's the Greater Springfield CYO third and fourth grade basketball championship. CYO stands for Catholic Youth Organization. So this is a church rec league. But, but don't let that fool you. This is some of the toughest competition and the scariest atmospheres that I've ever coached in. CYO started a long time ago as an organization that was dedicated to taking kids who might get into trouble and putting them in athletics. And it's not unusual around where I live to see kids who are much older than you would expect playing in some of these games. And, and I've talked to some of the opposing coaches and I've said, what's up with that kid? I said, well, you know, if I don't give him a spot on the team, he's going to get involved in some stuff that's bad. So it's better if we put him on the team. So I'm watching the team we're playing today in the championship, St. Mark's. I'm watching them warm up and I'm thinking, yep, looks like they're taking the CYO mission to heart. And it also looks like part of that mission is winning. And then I look at my team. And I'm watching them warm up. And the first thought that jumps into my head is, I hate these kids. I, I watch them out there on the floor and they're imitating their favorite professional basketball player. And, and I can't stand it. I can't stand the, the look at me attitude. I can't stand the selfishness. I can't stand the way that they try to imitate moves that they've seen on TikTok or Twitter. I can't stand the fact that they don't know their fundamentals. Why, why are you practicing a three-point shot? You can't even make a layup to save your life. And then I think, like, I hate these kids. Where are the parents on all this? 
And then I realized the parents have spent thousands of dollars per year precisely so their kids could act this way. They're betting on their child's athletic prowess. They're betting that their abilities will get them to better, better school, better team, better life. It'll open the door to better things. I hate these kids. I coach these kids. Some of them are my own. So I'm feeling kind of depressed and I end up basically on this fence watching a JV girls soccer game. And it's just like you think it is, just like all soft, ineffectual touches, balls going out of bounds all the time. But I realize that I know a bunch of these girls who are playing. They're from the area, so they play pickup soccer with me and all the guys. And some of the guys I play with are like 80 years old. Now, I feel like I'm 80 after the game. But while I'm playing, while I'm crunching tackles with these girls while they're scoring on these old men and playing the game. We're all youthful. We're just into the beautiful game. So I'm there on this fence resting next to the goalie and I shout, this is the perfect position. You can see the entire field. You've got the strategy. You're the general lead your troops. And she looks at me. And I think, horrified, I have become my father. I'm sitting on the bench and I realize I'm here because I'm a father. I have kids who are into sports and the expectation is that the dads are gonna help out. I never played basketball as a kid. I didn't even really start watching basketball until I was in college. I realized that I have a lot to learn. And as a matter of fact, just the night before, I learned something very important about coaching CYO basketball. And that thing is the legal definition of mayhem. Mayhem is the intentional maiming of another person. And I know this because I was talking to someone who was at the other semifinal basketball game last night. And he told me the story about how one of the parents got so enraged that he jumped on the back of one of the coaches and he bit his ear off. And I'm not even making that up. He bit his ear off. So before the game today, I, I had an impromptu meeting with the parents of my players. And, and they were asking me, like, okay, well, what are you going to do to keep the kids safe? And I said, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not in charge of that. That's The league is in charge of that. I'm not, I'm not a safety expert. I'm just a, a youth basketball coach. And I'm not even really a very good one at that. And then all the parents started telling me their opinions. And, and while I listened to them, I found myself making this list in my head of the parents on my team who might become potential ear biters if things didn't go well. I mean, Bob was obvious because he's got that mustache and he cuts the sleeves off of his T-shirt. But I also put Elaine on that list because I noticed as I was walking into the game that she had a sticker on the back of her car. It was one of those Calvin peeing stickers. And it was Calvin peeing on St. Mark's Church. I've been watching this game for 10 or 15 minutes. I just have a pure Michigan smile slapped across my entire face as I'm like really getting into it. And this girl cracks off a shot and it goes high and to the right. And so there's going to be a corner kick. And corner kicks are important in soccer because 80% of goals are off of set plays. It's even more so for, for kids sports. So this girl from the opposing team picks up the ball, emblazoned on the back of her shirt, it says Judy. And just with all 
pro-like seriousness. She walks over there, she spins the ball in her palms, and then she spins it lightly just on her fingertips so that she can set it almost like it's hovering on blades of grass, just like they do on TV. And she death stares that ball, wipes the sweat off her brow as she takes 10 slow steps back and one deep breath. My son is nine years old and he's, he's the star of this team. He, he's a good player, but he's also much bigger than the other kids, which really, really helps. The gym we're playing in is tiny and it's, it's loud. I mean, it's so loud that if I yell something from the sideline, no one's going to hear me, which is perfect because I don't really have anything to say anyway. So I don't even bother yelling. And then we get to the fourth quarter and the game is tied. We have a chance. So, so I call our last timeout and the point guard comes running off the court and he runs right up to me and he tugs on my sleeve and he says, coach, coach, coach. And I say, what, what, what do you want? He says, how many points do I have? I hate these kids. The assistant coach now has the kids all huddled around him. He's the one who draws up the play. And, and before he tells them what he wants them to do, he says, keep it up, guys. You guys are doing really good. And my son turns to me, the English teacher, and he mouths the word, well. He's correcting the assistant coach's grammar. And I couldn't be prouder because he's right. They are doing well even if they aren't doing something that is necessarily good. I know that without a doubt, this is going to be the highlight of my coaching career. Neither of my kids is going pro. Neither is going to get a college scholarship. I'll keep coaching and I'll win some games and I'll lose other games. I hate these kids. And I know that there are probably some kids who hate me too. These are the lessons that youth sports teaches us. So right before she goes into this run-up to take this monster kick, someone from her team screams, don't fuck it up like you did last time, Judy. And I'm all like, wait, what? And I'm looking at these girls to see who said that, like so rude, when one of the girls that I know from my team says, or just hear me out, Judy, you could pass the ball straight to us because everybody on your team seems like a giant gaping asshole. Just a thought. And I lose it. I look at the people who are on her team. I'm looking at these girls all like staring angrily at each other and seeing the image of a giant gaping asshole. And I think it works on so many levels. And I'm just... I, tears in my eyes, joy and laughter. And Judy, poor Judy has to ignore me and kick this ball as hard as she can, but she gets over top of the ball. So it goes down and it loses all its momentum as it's rolling on the ground. And one, two, three, hapless, ineffectual touches later, it spins out of bounds for a throw in. And I think I've made a decision in my life. I'm never gonna have kids. But for some value of the term, I love these kids. And I know that there's those of you out there who have kids, who are parents and have children, and it's not the same. But for me, the little piece that I get every sometimes maybe once in a while, these little moments puts a smile on my face because that's enough for me.
37 and I moved back to Montreal where I was born. I'm going to start this exciting new job really soon. I'm also divorced and I'm brokenhearted and I need to start again. When I arrive, I move in with my aging parents. Now, this is just a short term thing, like a month max, uh, just until I get settled into the new job and I, I get a new home. I'm 37. And I've run away across the country to Los Angeles. I run from a boyfriend who's getting a little too serious. And I run from being a daughter, a sister, a spinster aunt, from teaching high school, serving burgers, delivering pizzas, answering phones. I need a new start. And I fantasize about a Hollywood life because living an ordinary, boring life just scares the crap out of me. In no time, I'm managing everything about my parents' lives. You see, I become their health advocate, their health project manager. I'm a driver. I'm a cook. I'm a confidant. I'm a bill payer. I'm a daughter. Their health declines, and caring for them becomes my second full-time job. My whole short-term thing goes on for eight years. I'm caught up, and I'm stuck in this role as a caregiver. I can't get out. And the house search is just a fantasy now, and I have no time for the restart. Dad dies. And now I need to figure out what's next for mom. In no time, I managed to do a movie, plays, get a great review in the LA Times. I, I work in a production office. I'm an assistant to a TV star. I, I, I pitch an educational TV series and I get a call. Fantasy life? No, this is my authentic life. But it's short term. I mean, I'm doing the same thing in L.A. that I was doing in New York. I'm teaching. I'm waitressing. I'm answering phones. I'm a Hollywood cliche. Mom dies the year I turned 50. I spent 13 years as a caregiver. Nobody, well, really everybody. Yeah, they call me a superhero. Having that big job, being the caregiver, was I just really stuck, unable to get out? Yeah, because the longer I stayed, the harder it was to get back to my life. But also, I know this. I know I was hiding a little in the role of caregiver. I ran away from my life by running home to be the hero. I am a hero. And I am, I was a coward, just afraid of restarting. Not anymore. Yeah, okay, I ran home. Now I need to find a home. My dad's in the hospital. I've just turned 42. He needs two heart valve replacements and he has leukemia. And then my grandfather dies and I miss the funeral because I am 2,451 miles from my home. Okay, yeah, New York is my home. It's time to go home. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to our storytellers, Andrew Shelfo, Daniel Boyd, Joanne Pelletier, and Rana Levy. They have been on the podcast before. I'm glad that they are on once again. Check the show notes for our next Deja True. Deja True 
number three. The theme is Scarred, and you will be hearing several more sensational truologues. Quick favor, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, rate and review this podcast. It helps people find it. Thanks very much for that. That is all for episode number 50. Boom.